Hey everybody, welcome back to The Collective. We have another fantastic show for you planned out today. Very excited to get Clay back on the show and BC back on the show. Very good to have you guys. I'm looking forward to that. Now, um, we're going to be talking about playing the game. Again, this is day five of playing the game. And while I'm playing that game, y'all should be playing this game. Hit the like button, subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell, do all that good stuff so you get your emails every day that we go live, which is, of course, every day. Now, if you have any thoughts, questions, or comments, by all means, put them up in the comment section, and we will engage them directly as we go through the show. And anything other than that, I think we're good to go. Any thoughts or questions before we dive in, guys? Nothing? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Yeah, what do you got? Um, I, I've just kind of been spending the morning thinking how much fun it would be to have a new logo. Well, oh, look, there's <laughs> a new logo. Look at this. It's right above me, right here. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, but yeah, we have uh, we have our new logo branding, which is very fancy. It's going to be going out on all of the things later on. Thank you for bringing that up, Sean. Well done. I like it. Talk about uh, product placement, right? <laughs> I like it. Uh, Winterstorm jumps in here. Good morning, team. Good to see you. Andrea up late. BC Sanders. Andrea's mm -hmm. following you around. I think she's already like fans. It. Yeah, yes. there you go. He's in it, in it to win it right now. Uh, <laughs> He's so, winning. <laughs> absolutely, he is. Now, today, we're talking playing the game. And uh, the concept that we were talking about initially, Sean and I were actually discussing this the other day, in the the fact that there is a, uh, a kind of, a, I'm trying to think of the word now, but the idea of something being too easy. And that is... That, that never existed 30 years ago. Because I don't, I don't remember as a kid anybody using the phrase, don't make it too easy. So I'm wondering, when I talk about things being too easy, what are you guys' initial thoughts on that? Clay, I'm going to come to you first on this because it's something that you clicked in your head. So hit me up. What are you thinking? Yeah, I think uh, there's a, a book. I can't remember exactly when. I think it was like 70s or 80s. Um, it's called Flow uh, by Mahaley. And then I don't know his last name because it's a really long Russian last name. I can't, I can't remember it, but you could probably look it up. He basically was saying that in order to achieve flow, the challenge has to be slightly above the skill set. So to me, if things are too easy, you may not be able to reach like optimal performance or experience. Uh, so that's kind of what came to my mind initially. Interesting thought right away. BC, what about yourself? It reminds me of a saying we had in the South called it builds character. So anytime I had to do something or if there was some type of obstacle in life, my mom would be like, son, it builds character. Like, in other words, one, leave me alone, go do whatever you're going to do. But then two, whatever it is that you're doing, if it's really, really tough, and especially earlier in life, then the more you're going to learn how to adapt or at least learn, you know, if you fail, how are you going to fix that and then succeed? But it's that idea of like not coddling, not making things too easy for me as a kid, you know, uh, all through middle school, that sort of thing. Then as an adult doing things, <laughs> I am looking for an easier route sometimes depending on the task. But if I'm trying to master a skill, if it's firearms, you know, uh, I, I want to learn every facet, you know, so I want to know everything from magazine changes, from shooting on the move, from shooting in complete darkness, from clearing my weapon malfunction, transitioning from a pistol to a backup, all those things. Like I, I want to master those things. So sometimes I'm going to make those tasks a little harder and keep trying to fine tune that. Mm. So I guess that's sort of the adult version of building character. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Sean, first thoughts? Yeah, I agree. Uh, that's, I mean, I tell my own sons the same thing um, that, uh, in fact, when they were quite young, I used to say, uh, unless there's blood, it's not a big deal. And so the idea of building character is uh, important, I think, uh, in every generation. And that uh, building character comes down to amount of adversity that you face or not. And uh, I think uh, today's uh, uh, parental units are more prone to easing up the adversity rather than increasing the adversity. And I don't want to say that uh, 
a lot of kids are getting life handed to them on a silver platter. That's not my point. Uh, what I am saying is that uh, there's a reluctance to let kids go out and eat dirt and get uh, scars uh, versus uh, what was the case, you know, 30, 40 years ago kind of thing. Hmm. You know, when we were initially talking about this, my first thoughts went towards like the fact that if you're looking to do something well, you will create efficiencies, right? And you'll start to find little things that make little ways in which you can make things easier to the overall scale and the fact that we can actually still do the job itself. But there's a point in there where you forget why you're doing the job or why you're doing the thing that you have now made so efficient that is just kind of sinking my teeth into. And it, what made me think of it was the fact that you look at um, some farmers out there who are utilizing skill sets that are utilizing things, efficiencies that have been passed down from three or four generations prior that they don't know why they're doing it. They're just doing it because that was the most efficient way that they were taught how to do it. So I'm wondering, do you think that this prevalence, I guess, in in the in the uh, in youth to not want to do something that hard comes from that level, like of slowly making things more and more efficient to the point that you forget why you're doing it in the first place. BC, what do you think? Yeah, uh, I was called an air conditioned baby when I was a kid. Mm. Every generation <laughs> kind of faces that. It's like my mom grew up with no air conditioning, no indoor plumbing. So when, as, as she saw uh, my brother and I kind of growing up, it, we were air conditioned babies. So for her, we were considered soft. But in our minds, we were working, you know, tobacco. I started working tobacco fields when I was 13. So in my mind, I was like, I was, you know, hard. Like I was, <laughs> I was putting in work, you know, but to her, we were not, we were a little more, like I said, like, like air conditioned. And we, at one point, had cable TV. I mean, she stole the cable TV, but meaning back then she had a friend. <laughs> they used to all go hang out together. He gave us a free cable box and hooked the cable up. And we had all these movie channels uh, for, for free, which back then was, you're not supposed to do that, by the way. It's against the law, but it's like 30 years old now. But she did that. So then we had all this television. So a bunch of our friends would come over. And that's what we would do is sit around and watch TV and, and, and in her mind, it was like we were a softer generation, just like her parents who grew up in the Depression during World War II thought that her generation was softer. I, I think we always do that. I try to keep an open mind when I see the youth now and think, OK, individually, um, kids are really you know out there putting in work and still have a lot of intestinal fortitude. But collectively, that generation is probably labeled as softer than our generation. If that makes sense, you know, yeah. well, Play, they yeah. are, yeah. they are. I, 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 mean, <laughs> right. I, mean, I love their conditioning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, for sure. They, these are modern conveniences that are making us all softer for sure. I mean, my, my parents were the same thing. In fact, when I was growing up in England, before we moved to Canada, um, I, I recall having to walk out kind of our really not a very nice house out into the backyard to the uh, old wooden shed that was our outdoor toilet because we didn't have an indoor toilet. That's just the way it was. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, air conditioning that that was air conditioning wasn't invented when I was born, I don't think so. Um, the, <laughs> I don't think it was. <laughs> it was called a window. You said in England. Did you say in England? Yeah, I was born in 1963 in England. So, um, yeah, the, okay. the, the, as, as, as generations kind of come up into the, you know, into the modern era, things get softer and softer. So I agree with you that generationally, uh, each generation gets it a bit easier, if that's what mm -hmm. we're saying. But I think that there's, a, there's an important distinction now. So the next generation, whatever that is, 10 years from now, they'll have it a bit easier. But the easier aspect is, is it started off as big deltas, big differences. I didn't have air conditioning, and then all of a sudden air conditioning was invented. That's a huge delta. Well, now mm -hmm. modern generations, there's, there's only tiny little differences to get softer and softer and softer. I mean, it's soft. Let's not mm -hmm. make no any any bones about it. It's a soft 
way to live now if you want to embrace soft. It's hard to make it softer. Add air conditioning on top of the air conditioning. I mean, what do we have to do? So it's pretty soft right now compared to just a couple of generations ago. So I think there is a big difference generationally when we say, you know, walk to school uphill on broken glass both ways. Well, it kind of used to be that way back in the day, but it certainly isn't yeah. that way now. Clay, you got any thoughts on this? Yeah, it, it may be a little bit controversial, but I, I think, you know, back when things used to be harder, it's much easier to be hard or tough in the depression because you don't have a choice. Nowadays, they have to choose choose to do the hard thing and it it makes me what i'm worried about most with my my boys their their older boys is that they're not going to see the utility in in the process that it takes to get good to get in the game you don't just you don't just get in the game because you're there if you want to touch the ball more if you want to be a starter there's utility in the process i think fran uh he mentioned that you know that it's the process and enduring the process that makes you better when it comes PR time or game time. Uh, that's kind of my thoughts. Yeah, I, I think you're. I think you're right on that. And I was just thinking to myself that it really comes down to choice now versus there was no choice back then, right? If you wanted to make your life easier, you had to find efficiencies. Whereas now, you can just make your life easier. <laughs> it, uh, it's kind of crazy. BC, you got any thoughts? Yeah. I that like you're talking about the process, the ability or uh, looking at that as a challenge and not as, Oh no, I got to do this. You know what I mean? Or, or um, for, for younger people to shy away from that, or even for adults to have to, to learn a new skill or a new trade or transition from one job to another and then look at it and go, okay, well, if I can learn this, then I may have a better life, even though this may be difficult to do. Uh, I would think something like UPS. I worked there uh, when I was in college. That that big company that delivers a lot of packages and wears brown, like they were a le- <laughs> they still are, but they were a legit company. That when you join, everybody starts loading and unloading out of the back of trucks, all the way up to the CEO of the of the company. So it's very much like the military. You start out as a private and work your way up. So someone now at maybe thirty five or forty could transition, start a job there and have to learn that trait and then get in the back of those trucks and hustle just like everybody else. But I watched grown people do it and single mothers do it and get a better life for their kids. So it's kind of one of those things too, that uh, as adults, we probably get softer as we get older and we, and we avoid anything like that. I don't know too many people that are rushing out to do that, but I knew a lot of people that did it and then were like, you know, UPS is legit. Like they're, they've got benefits for their family. College kids were, were getting their tuitions paid for and stuff, but you had to hustle and you had to work. And I watched a lot of people join and also quit because of that, because they weren't willing to put in that work uh, or suffer without air conditioning in the back of a truck lo- loading or unloading packages. That's a great point. Sean, do you got anything? Well, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that UPS has got something uh, uh, heading out onto the streets right now. They're pretty fancy vehicles, and they've got a lot of uh, um, benefits nowadays. They've got a pretty good salary, as I understand. And yeah. so, and I think that has recently come about because um, UPS not went on. Maybe they went on strike, but there was a little bit of. Uh, there was a little bit of friction created so that they could get these benefits. They were probably duly deserved, by the way. Uh, but what is interesting, BC, uh, mm-hmm. is using uh, UPS as the example, it can almost act as a proxy for a lot of businesses out there. Not all businesses, but a lot of businesses in the sense that several generations ago or at the inception of UPS, uh, times were probably pretty tough. And then through the modernification of the process, uh, air conditioning was added. And next thing you know, it's AI driven. And next thing you know, it is et cetera. So efficiencies begin to be created. The culture of the company starts changing from that gritty nose to the grindstone sort of uh, start 
to maybe two or three generations later where it isn't as gritty, it isn't as adverse. And now there's a, maybe a culture that's created where I don't want to say it's a sense of entitlement, but it is a different form of entitlement than it was right on day one, where everyone knew they had to go grab the boxes, lift them up, put them in the van to include the CEO. So I think that even the best of companies with the best of intentions and the strongest work ethics and etc can over a period of time create a culture that is becoming softer and softer contextually yeah they did uh and i can't remember whether they went on strike or not or they were pushing to go on strike and they do that i think it's about every eight or ten years it seems like mm -hmm. um but they've got a great benefits package i think for that reason plus the company exists solely on serving and delivering packages. The packages never basically sit still unless they're in a truck or on a plane. So that's all they, that's all they breed basically is customer service. But it started out as one guy with a plan to deliver packages on a bicycle in like 1906, I think in Seattle, Washington, Come on, he brought really? his brother on board and I was like, Hey, help me. Cause there's a lot of businesses that want to deliver packages. And they're using bicycles and then it just kept growing until it is what it is today. And they can basically put a package anywhere in the world. But, but when I was in college, fresh out of the army and worked for them, a lot of people had that opportunity to have their college part of it paid for to have full benefits, eye care, dental care. All they had to do was survive four hours slinging packages uh, each night. It's a part-time shift, but, a lot of people couldn't do it and wouldn't do it. Then they, they looked at the short term gains and said, well, I don't make as much per hour as say, if I went out and worked somewhere else, but they didn't understand the benefits package or long-term employment. You mentioned the, the salaries they make when I was a kid. That's what my mom said. She said, son, either get a job as a sanitation worker or a UPS driver. And she was pretty, pretty locked home because when I got on with UPS, I didn't understand that, that the drivers made so much money. You got to work your way up to it, but yeah, it, it's just, but it's a perfect example of when people want to put forth that effort. And I watched people retire from that company as millionaires because of their salary and their stock options. And they're just workers. I was like, man, this is incredible. You know, I, I'm just saying that that's like, you still have to pick that package up and move it. And so automation will eventually assist with that. But it's it's a hustle and grind. And and when I was there and hiring people at one point, I moved up the ladder. But as I was hiring people, I was always impressed with people that had an agriculture or construction background and then they wanted to go to college. And so even when they would come and shake my hand and I'd ask them what was the hardest job they've ever done in their lives, a lot of people would be like, you know, farming, construction, landscaping. Some young adults would say, I don't know, I've never had a job. And a lot of times I'm like, ooh, <laughs> you're not going to get in this meat grinder as your first job and probably last, you know, or, or you shake a hand with someone and you start talking to them and you realize they have no real grit and no focus. And that's another thing. Like when you're trying to learn a task that's very, very tough, you got to know what, what the goal is, what the long-term and short-term goals are, not just I'm going to, I'm going to survive the suck here and just put up with it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Clay, you got some thoughts? Yeah. It reminds me, uh, I'm going to steal this from, I think it's a, the Nick bear podcast. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. I was, I was listening to it yesterday, but he had an interesting concept that I someone else. So we're just going to share it. It's a, uh, there's more opportunity than there is ability. And that's kind of interesting because I think that when he, you know, when he talks about picking up the boxes and the CEO picks up the boxes or when, when the process, you have to build the ability and then it has to get the opportunity. And when you think about it in the context of like, well, there's all this opportunity out there. I just need to build the ability that makes and hopefully if you know if there's young people or my, even my own kids if they're listening to this that that's what the process is that's what preparation is that's that's what doing all of the work is is 
hoping that you will develop the ability and the skills and then opportunity will present itself, you know, but you have to have, you have to do the work, right? Like that's, that's non-negotiable. That's an interesting thought. Sean, you got anything, anything else? Yeah, I got a question for BC and uh, I, it's great that you had the position where you got to observe and I'm going to loosely categorize it as people who were staying in the game and people who were already out of the game before they stepped into the game. So, I mean, when you were shaking hands and making those rapid uh, uh, determinations or shaking that hand and observing someone casually for a couple of minutes, uh, obviously, well, I say obviously, I'm assuming that you would be making those determinations in, during the conversation. They're in, they're out, they're, they're mm -hmm. you know, these kind of uh, ideas. Uh, what was it that clearly defined um, whether someone would stay or not? Do you have a kind of commonality there? Yeah, the, the cool thing was because you, you start out, everybody starts out the same. So I had already loaded or unloaded packages. I had already moved up to package sorter. So as they're being unloaded, I'm reading the labels and putting them on different color coded belts. So you get, you bump up, you know, it's like I was a private now I'm private first class, you know? So, so I was kind of moving up. So then when I made uh, or made promotion as supervisor, they moved me into um, an HR area interviewing and hiring people. I was, I was still in college and I had been in the army before, so I got it as a, as an E5 sergeant. But then when I was in college, started working there and had that long-term goal. So then when, when I'm assessing who I'm going to hire, I knew that the, the burning question was always, do I want this person to my left and right as I'm working in the hub or, or working in what looks like a warehouse, but they call it a hub. Do I want that person? Because I came from those ranks and I want my coworkers that, that I was working with to have the best people in their shift. And so a lot of times it was people would come in and if they had a plan, if they told me, hey, I'm in college now, I only want to work part time. So I only want, want this this shift, this four hour shift, because that's how UPS had operated was four hour shifts Monday through Friday, which is perfect for a college student or someone else who maybe is, you know, taking care of kids or whatever during the day. And then they go work in the evening, whatever. But that main commonality that I saw in people was to have it, to have focus on what they wanted, like a, a long-term goal to have at some point in their lives had to sweat and suffer in the heat and physically, exer you know, physical exertion. And then can they at least get along with someone in, in an, in a very kind of not chaotic, but in an environment that's loud and people are slinging pack. I say slinging, handling packages you know, can you do that? Because coworkers can get in, in arguments when packages aren't sorted properly or whatever the system starts to kind of break down. But that's what I was always looking for. Someone who it, at some point can express to me that they have done something that was impressive. So like the perfect applicant, a lot of times prior military going to college. And so they would always say that like, Hey, I was in the military and now I'm going to college. And so during the daytime, they would go to their classes or whatever. And then in the evenings they come in and and work, work um, in the hub for a couple hours. But it was that. I was looking for that. Some of the people that I had hired that did not have any kind of solid work background, didn't have long-term goals, were not focused, That and and I had to sometimes hire people just because of sheer numbers, and they wouldn't last. And so, so I was just calculating, okay, it's basically like a template of the perfect employee to put in this situation. And that's all it was. was like, and once I had fine-tuned that, I had gone from hiring about 20 people a week because the turnover was so high to hiring about three people a week. So at the time they do calculations, the company does, this is how much it costs to hire people and, and, and get them to work. And if they don't stay X number of months or a year, we don't get our return and investment on them. So if you can show, Hey, I'm hiring the right staying, you don't have to spend as much on hiring and all that. Then the company is happy with that. I had a great future at UPS, but I was born with this affliction where I wanted to be a cop and I gave all that up to be a cop. So about once every few years, I just kind of look back and thought, Ooh, man, I could be running like a region or a district making like big money for a wonderful company. But I also love being a cop. So I made the right decision, 
but it, it was a, it was one of those lessons that if you put in the hard work, man, that that company was solid. Got to play the game, right? <clears throat> Got to play the game that you want to play. That's, That's the key. right. That's now right. we uh we have Ski has joined us. I'm gonna throw him in right now. Ski, oh, how's it yeah. going, buddy? Hey, hey, hey! I'm glad I was able to make it. Yeah, this is perfect. <laughs> can so can you give us a quick 30, 45 second? Who are you? Where you come from? And then we'll dive right back into the conversation. Absolutely. So I, I know everybody knows BC. I'm the other. Uh, I just ride BC's coattails. We do a podcast <laughs> together, the Disruptors Podcast, and. Uh, I just ride his coattails there, but we BC and I work together. I come from the law enforcement background as well. I did a total of 13 years. Um, my my niche in law enforcement was gangs, drugs, guns, and then I got into the training world towards the end of my law enforcement career. So, right on. That's where I'm at. Sweet. That's not quick, quick and dirty. I like it. This works perfectly. So now. Any other thoughts on anything that we were just talking about? Or I do have some comments, and I have a question myself. So anybody got anything before we move on? Okay. Hit it. So quick couple comments. We got uh, Carl jumps on. He says, so I was working on a project with the old logo. Shall I switch or keep the OG? You know what, Carl? You do you, brother. Um, <laughs> Andrea Uplate asks, what do you think they would consider the hard thing now? And I'm going to hit you back with a question, Andrea. Who is they that you're talking about? Because that could mean a lot of different days that we're since we've hit, the, uh, since we've talked about, since you asked that question. So refine that a little bit, and we will uh, we will carry on. Uh, Daniel Levante says, in the information era, instant gratification has become a big problem, where nowadays people seem to give up faster when more effort is needed to be applied. Which I think it's pretty accurate. But any thoughts on that? down the panel anybody bc you got something man i always got something yeah i saw the little twinkle <laughs> so in my eye. so at ups no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> everybody's like what is this dude's oh. deal he's talked about ups for 20 minutes dude, he, he just cop. loves the brown what right the heck? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. no so the, so the comment or question was basically uh information or instant gratification yes I, i've noticed it myself when i got on social media a couple years ago even my attention span is much shorter. And when I want some information, I want it now. So I would like to say the older, the older I get, that's why, but I do believe the devices and technology are, are changing us. We are, we are being conditioned as always, like any type of tools can condition you, but we're being conditioned in that sense of wanting it now. Like I don't want to put in the hard work, feel that, that gratification, you know, mm -hmm. I, it, I mean, it's like ordering something and, and you're wanting it like the very next day. And, and it used to be a week or two or three. And then now you're getting it. You get, sometimes you're getting a package within the next day. Um, so it's pretty cool that you can get that, but also that idea of just everything is becoming um, instant and convenient. And sometimes that's not good. Sometimes we got to have a little patience. I'll chime in on that too. So yeah, think about this. If you're chasing gratification, you're going to get it by clicking in those dopamine rushes. But when he talks about it being a, a problem, it depends on what your, what your long tail game is, right? If you're trying to do something that you know is going to take years and years and years to build, you have to be intentional. You have to have a goal, and then you have to have a system in place to attain that goal. And I think most people have these big goals. They have no system in place to actually attain it in the day by day with that intentionality. So... If you're seeking gratification, cool, you're going to find it all day, every day. If you're looking for something bigger, you have to you have to know how to navigate that. I like that. Clay, you got any thoughts? Yeah, uh, just like just like in jiu-jitsu, there's always someone that's better and smarter than you. So with this saying, you know, jo Jordan Peterson is as intelligent as you could be in psychology. But he has a, a phrase that says, the successful among us can delay gratification. And that's, I think that's technically true too, because their experiment, I don't remember exactly how it goes, where they put like children in a room and basically the, the child. The marshmallow test. Yes, yes, that's it. And they followed them through, you know, an extended period of time. And those that could delay that impulse 
they were more successful in in life. So I think that in general, just the ability to be patient and delay gratification is just, um, it's again, it's a non-negotiable skill, but it's one that has to be practiced. And again, back to the in the game part, it's it's no, I, I think that more and more with the internet and with easy gratification, the utility of the process, it just is not, uh, as much, uh, not to sound like an old person, like, oh, they're not the same, but it just doesn't seem as valued, you know? Yeah. Sean, you got some thoughts on that? Yeah, a couple of different things. So first of all, uh, as was mentioned, uh, the mm, seeking gratification through a process, of course, is a way to get to that point where you've genuinely earned a notable amount of um, well-deserved gratification. But before all of that, it has to start with why. I mean, you can line up 27 processes and run through all 27 today, but none of them amount for anything if they're not authentic to who you are or, or, or your why. Uh, my why today is to go out and shred some single track here in Revelstoke because uh, we're here for, for three days on a little uh, getaway vacation. I know my why here in Revelstoke, it is not to do anything other than shred and have a good time. So um, all of the processes in the world wouldn't improve my weekend if I wasn't aware of why I'm here. And so for any young folks out there or any, any uh, any age for that matter, uh, no point in engaging in a process to seek gratification if you haven't sat down with a pen and paper and written down why you're stepping into that process. The second thing is um, uh, instant gratification, of course, is something that is learned at an early age, um, like uh, our kids, for lack of a better term. My children didn't get cell phones until they were quite old. Uh, in fact, uh, 16, 17 years of age, we finally uh, got them cell phones. And it was a handful, man, in our household because all of their peers had cell phones in their hands from about the age of 10. And so I had almost a decade of uphill battle on broken glass, trying to keep uh, <laughs> cell phones out of my kids' hands, uh, saying, listen, believe me, that, that ain't the path to success. That ain't the path to awesome. That, that ain't the path. But it's hard to understand that when you're 12, 13, and 14, and all of your peers have phones. But we held a firm line. And uh, I feel that these are these daily decisions that uh, we have to stay strong on in order to kind of keep that softness at bay. Uh, as parents, we, we get to decide every day on how, uh, how robust and adverse resistant we are when we've got our kids in front of us. Uh, you know, do we pander to them or do we hold the hard line? Uh, I see a lot of people uh, failing on that hard line. That, uh, that actually brings up my next point, uh, which I'm, I'm going to hit here in a second. I just want to hit these comments real fast. Terminal City Training hits us up. It says, now we search for inefficiencies, which very true. Uh, Carl jumps in. Roger that. Alan Shabaro. Hey, y'all. How you doing, Alan? Congrats on your fifth Hi, degree black belt and jujitsu this guy is a monster and uh terminal city jumps in alan congratulations on the new stripe that belly there you go yeah so <laughs> good to see you alan um now my my thought was you know we we all want as parents we want our children to have a better life <laughs> right we don't want them to i can't i'm saying we don't want them to but i'm going to refine that a little bit I don't want my kids to deal with the, not the difficulties, but I don't want them to go through the same trauma that I went through as a kid, right? I don't want them to experience the pain that I did or et cetera, et cetera. And so I want to set my boys up for success. I want to give them the opportunity to find out who they're who they are and what they're made of and all these things. And I think that that gets deviated a little bit with a lot of parents where they just they want to give their kids something they want to alleviate the pain that they felt as a child and by not allowing their kids to actually experience these things what are you guys thoughts on that because 
I think it's it's a bit of a contentious issue because you know you want your kids to you know you want to elevate your kids a little bit so that they can do more they can be better than what you have achieved and do what they can but at the same time we also they have to experience things themselves right so there's it feels like there's a bit of a fine line there what do you guys think ski i'm going to start with you what do you think yeah absolutely i think one of the biggest things that we need to instill in our kids is self-awareness in the sense of exposing them to several different things and getting them comfortable with being aware of where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are, and then building their confidence based on that, right? So that exposure is key with kids, right? And kids are kids and they need to be, they need to be kids. But when you're starting to teach them responsibility, starting to let them grow, you have to be able to give them that exposure and then debrief with them and say, Hey, how did that feel? How did that, you know, you did fail, but let's talk about what you did good. And let's talk about how we build from there. Right. And then that's where that self-confidence starts to come in where they can go, Oh, the last time I did this, I fell flat on my face, but talked about it with my dad, talked about it with my mom. And I'm going to try this this time. And then next time they're going to have a little more confidence going into that. They might screw something else up in there, but they're gonna start. They're gonna start stacking those little wins, and then that, that's that's the way I look at education and kids is a whole nother topic that we can rabbit hole now. And uh, but that's my two cents. We could easily rabbit hole that one for sure. Yeah. Clay, what do you think? Oh man, it's a fourteen-year-old, fourteen-year-old, and a twelve-year-old, and they're boys. Um, and what immediately comes to my mind is they may not care what you have to say. I mean, they, you, you, you could have all the right answers and all the lessons that you've learned and you could tell them specifically, but sometimes they're just going to have to learn on their own. And all you can hope is one of the things in my time in the military is lead by example. And the other thing is, is that I will tell them something that I hope after they make their mistake, they'll just remember that, oh yeah, dad said that. <laughs> he said that was going to happen so that eventually, maybe, they'll start thinking a little bit more uh, about, you know, the the words of already lived the life that you've lived may, may have for you. So, yeah. BC, what do you think? Uh, I think... Clay and, and Ski summed it up. So for once, I'll just be quiet on this one. <laughs> John, you got any, got any thoughts? You're, 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 yeah, that didn't make any sense. <laughs> um, so what I will say is um, I look at, and, and it is a big rabbit hole that we could jump into in playing the game and the cultural differences, generational differences and all of that good stuff. So. I don't want to dive into it too deep other than to really, really quickly that uh, inverted triangle is how I like to parent. So, you know, right at the tip of the pyramid when they're, uh, or the inverted pyramid when they're extremely young, uh, your my job as a parent wasn't to teach them how to become a scientist. My job was just to expose them to the world. And so it, that's what I tried to do without imparting all of the lessons in life in those early phases. But as they get older, sweatier, a little bit bloodier uh, without a cell phone in their hand uh, so that they can appreciate the world around them uh, within their own little trajectories outside of the digital sphere. And so uh, we raised our boys uh, active and in the dirt. And uh, I'm going to give a good example, I think, of this uh, that I saw uh, this summer at Operation Pegasus Jump. For anyone out there who doesn't know what that is, it was a gathering uh, on Vancouver Island uh, for first responders, law enforcement, and military uh, veterans. And uh, everyone jumping out of perfectly good airplanes and giving high fives. And so uh, I was sitting on a picnic bench there. It was a hot day and uh, uh, lots of people sitting around waiting for the birds uh, to uh, get the next load up in the air and there were some kids right next to my leg as I was sitting on the picnic bench and they were just playing in the dirt man uh, one kid was actually eating dirt no joke and uh, and the other kids were watching him eat dirt and he was making faces and they were tasting the dirt themselves and then they just continued rolling around in the dirt and uh, the mom was sitting there and she was watching 
and the kids and they were just having fun. And you know what she didn't do? She didn't pick up the kids, scold them and say, oh, don't bump into that man's leg, Be behave yourself, which is what you see a lot of out there. Uh, parents controlling their three or four year olds with a, with a half pack of wet wipes every half hour because they don't want their kids getting dirty. They don't want them kind of inconveniencing anyone around them. They want to control the kids so, so much the kid doesn't get to eat dirt. Well, I think the kids should eat dirt. I think the kids should bump their heads on pigtails. I think that kids should interact. And then I look down at them and they say hi or whatever. The world that kids need to interact in is a less structured, less controlled, less wet wiped sort of environment, in my opinion. <clears throat> that brings up a, a bunch of interesting thoughts that we could dive into. B BC, you got anything now? Um, yeah. yeah, Ski still eats dirt. Like as an adult, Cuz eats it by like the spoonful. <laughs> I'm like, Ski, dude, don't, don't eat that dirt. Like the best dirt comes from over there. Only nutrient-dense soil, though. <laughs> and we can talk about farming and food, too, if you guys want to do this. He's, he's usually, like, elbow deep in a freaking thing of potting soil. I get it. Yeah. He said potting soil tastes the best. It's like a steak to him. I can imagine. It's got, it's got the most nutrients in it. Any, any thoughts on what uh, Sean was talking about? No, he's, no. He's, no, he's 100% right, man. Let kids eat dirt. Let them play. Let them, you know, scab up their knees, <laughs> jump bicycles over ramps, jump skateboards, climb trees, whatever. They're going to be all right. And, and this is coming from a guy. My nickname was Safety Man when I was a kid because I hung out with like wild <laughs> dudes. And I'd always be like, hey, man, if you do that, something, you know, you're going to fall and hurt yourself or whatever. I mean, that that nickname stuck with me. <laughs> but but also like it's okay if if people fall and get hurt you know even though you can predict that that, that accident's going to happen let it happen mm -hmm. it builds character right i like that clay you got it, any thoughts it's oh, Sean, it's go ahead. wild that maybe your nickname was uh was safety man but didn't you say in the last podcast that you were you were a shredder on a skateboard you were a skateboarder right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Sk skating's so different. It, it con yeah, contextually, you might be safety man, but in in something that is like rad. And so the, yeah. contextually within these various cultures, maybe you yeah. are safety man, but you're like you're large and in charge compared to the uh the book reading club, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm part of the book reading club now. But yeah, you're right though. I'm like skating, I skated no pads. We jumped ramps, like launch ramps, uh, took pictures, stuff like that, that now, you know, kids wear pads, which I'm not saying don't wear pads. But, yeah, I was safety man just because of the crap that my buddies and my brother and them used to do. And I would see it right before it happened and be like, ooh. Or like when you see someone cutting something and you're like, ah. Like when I was a kid, my dad was drunk shucking oysters. If y'all don't know about shucking oysters – you stick this really dull thing that looks like a little dagger or something, but it's really dull. And he was about, I don't know, 15 Schlitz in and he's standing by the kitchen sink and he's trying to shuck this oyster in his hand slips and the oyster shucker goes through his hand and you can see this, the back of his hand poking out like the blade stuck in there. So then he passes out. And my mom cracks open these little ammonia capsules from the first aid kit. You know, like back then you would wave them in front of someone and it wakes them up. And so he wakes up and he's like, why the hell did you do that? You know? And then he had to go get it removed from the hospital. So maybe when I was a kid watching that accident happen made me a uh, safety man. You know, like that was my superpower. I should have worked for OSHA instead of UPS. I should have been like an OSHA regulator or something, but. Yeah, man. I, uh, skating though is completely different. Launching off ramps, no no pads, slamming. You know, uh, your knees are always cut up. Your your palms, your wrists, <laughs> or whatever. It didn't matter. But you know, you start cutting a an orange or something. Heaven forbid you cut towards. I want to interrupt you and tell you not to do that. 
I have many scars on my hands from cutting towards myself. See? <laughs> and, like, I, I've, my brother actually did the same thing with a coconut. He had a knife and he was trying Ooh, to get it to, and see? he just straight into his hand. It was uh, quite, quite humorous. I thought yeah. it was hilarious. He's my older brother, right? So I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, he did have to go to the hospital and get all the, he had cut a couple tendons in his hand. It was not pleasant uh, for him, but hmm. whatever. He's okay. Um, now the, the question I had for you guys based on this is that, you know, kids are meant to get hurt themselves, right? And uh, BC, you mentioned pads. And uh, Sean at one point scolded me for not wearing a helmet on my bike, things like that, which mm -hmm. 100% makes perfect sense, right? You want to, you got to play the game. You want to be safe. You want to make sure that your kids are safe and doing the right things. And you want to lead by example to do those things. But at the same time, when I was a kid, I never wore a helmet and I, mm -hmm. you know, got launched off my bike. I've had my bike go flying off a cliff while I was hanging onto a tree, like all kinds of weird things happen, dangerous things happen. And we don't want people to necessarily do those things, but we do want them to do some of those things. So like, how do we play that game? How do we, how do we, you know, um, work towards having things be safer or be less catastrophic, I guess, but at the same time, still get the bumps and bruises, still get the scrapes on the knees, still get the cuts, still jam a knife into your hand. Like, <laughs> how do, how do we, how do we great? How do we play that game? How do we graze that line? What do you think? Clay, I'm going to come to you first. Oh man, that's a tough question. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough because you. I mean, I think I think the risk taking is really the the gold in in all of those things. But you know, it sounds like all of the skateboarders are included. And I think if if someone would have framed it to me that you know I was pretty good, but if I had knee pads and a helmet on, I would probably get better faster because the execution risk of my trick wouldn't be as high in my mind. So yeah, I, I don't really know how in general you could make it uh, any less or less risky. Um, I just think that you got to tell kids or let them know, uh, maybe offer a different perspective of, you know, maybe it's cool not to wear a helmet. I get it. But if you did, you might be a little bit better quicker than if you didn't. So yeah. That's a great point. Ski, what about yourself? No, I'm just my my train of thought is is going down the we let society dictate when we let our kids do things versus as parents being able to make that decision, right? For example, uh, most kids don't know how to use power tools and they're not allowed to use power tools. Well, that's simply because we haven't taught them how to use power tools. Now, why can't a six year old use a drill, right? And the answer is they can. Uh, we just don't think they can. Now, if you properly train a kid how to do something, then they're going to know how to do it. And again, it go, to me, it goes back to the exposure. There is a maturity level there. I'm not just handing my kid a, a, a six-year-old a pocket knife and a handgun and saying, hey, go have fun. However, can a kid safely learn how to shoot a 22 rifle uh, in a controlled environment and be able to load it, unload it, know how to set their target and this and that? The answer is yes. I don't think we give kids enough credit and I just don't think we give them enough exposure to things that society says, Oh, kids shouldn't be exposed to that. Mm, that's a great point. BC. Yeah. Going back to the skating thing. Uh, <clears throat> if I had a helmet back then, I would have worn it and knee pads and, and elbow pads and stuff. Same thing now, but, but if I'm wearing the helmet and the gear, I'm still doing the same trick. I'm still, well, now everything's kick flips and handrails and everything, but, if a kid's still launching off a ramp, but wearing a, a helmet, they're still doing that skill, that thing that's dangerous. They're just being a little smarter about it. And I agree. Andrea Uplake made the comment that says, but also moms smoked while pregnant. Uh, and we've learned how to be smarter, you know, LOL, which, which is true. Like growing up when I was a kid, everybody rode around in the back of a pickup truck. Yep, so legitimately, it would be like 10 kids were all piled in the back of these pickup trucks. And while I never got in a wreck, uh, when I went through driver's ed, I watched the film where a guy did get in a wreck and was paralyzed the rest of his life. 
because he got ejected out of the, the bed of a truck. So the idea is like, okay, well, let's not do things that are so outrageous that if you get in a car crash or collision, you are going to be injured or, uh, you know, my mom's generation, you know, burned down a camel or a Winston every now and then flipped it and, you know, <laughs> took care of their kids. But now we know not to do that. So I do think we do learn how to kind of reduce the risk to our kids. Um, so I'm, I'm not uh, against wearing pads or anything like that. And I'm all about giving a six-year-old a power, power drill after they've been properly trained. Because Key is right, though. I mean, kids can do things as you train them. You just, you just tell them, hey, these are steps to do. Now you're responsible for it. And it doesn't have to be a power drill you start off with. Start off with making a sandwich or, you know, whatever, picking your up for school. You know, these small things that they learn the process, like we talked about earlier, of doing things. It's like, cool, because you want a sandwich? Go <laughs> grab a peanut butter and banana and some bread and go to work. Make that sandwich how you want to. You can cut it diagonal. You can cut the crust off. You can leave it on. That's your sandwich. You know, you know, how, to, you know how to bring kids back to how they were built in the 80s? We just got to let them listen to Kenny Loggins. <laughs> you are 100% right, Ski. Like, now, what song would you let them listen to from Kenny Highway Lund? to the Danger Zone. Come on. <laughs> right. Let's just start there. Safety Man does not approve of that song. <laughs> Let's the just right way to start go. there. <laughs> BC had that on a cassette tape that I he did. made, and he only had Danger Zone on both sides. So he would flip his Walkman, and that's like that's when he did stuff without a helmet, and he, yeah. he became the, the non-hall monitor. But it was only Kenny Loggins. <laughs> that transition that for him that's true 100 yeah, percent. yeah that works perfectly. i'm all right man don't nobody gotta worry about me <laughs> why you gotta give me a fight ski why can't you just let it be <laughs> this is what the show's for or we're here to push a little loggins right? for y'all man little right. kenny kenny loggins sean you got any thoughts on any of this there's the, i do there we go <laughs> i just got something here real quick uh-oh. So I'm out He's, here in uh, Stoke, and uh, uh -huh. I'm, I'm mountain biking, shredding. And so I'll show you this bad boy. This is my ride helmet. It probably looks a little bit motocrossy, probably looks a little bit, you know, protective. And so I've only, I've had that less than a year, but I've been riding and racing uh, mountain bike for about 25 years. And so the helmets that I would wear up until less than a year ago were uh, race helmets that would be typically worn on like a road bike. Very little coverage and uh, high consequences if you're crashing at high speed. But because I was racing 24-hour solo so much, I wouldn't want to ride a big helmet like that for 24 hours in a row just because your, your neck and, uh, would fatigue too much, too much upper body wear and tear. And so I think it comes down to uh, minimizing the risk in the game that you're playing based on your experience and contextually. So as an example, you know, as, as kids, uh, when, when I started uh, riding uh, uh, 25 years ago, I didn't wear a helmet that much because it just wasn't the thing. But nobody was really talking about traumatic brain injuries back then either. And mm -hmm. statistically, TBIs have become a thing. And now the, even the layman is aware of something called TBI. And so uh, I wear this full face helmet now because about a year ago, I bought a bike that is insane, insanely fast. It's got a dropper seat. It's got a 150, 140 millimeter full suspension and uh, it's bonkers fast. And so out here on this terrain that we're at uh, this weekend, I'll be riding this bike like a freak. And so the consequences of a crash are significantly different than um, if I wasn't riding this big bike on freaky terrain. So I adjust my helmet based on my freak train that I'm about to step on to. And so I think that pads and helmets and band-aids and all of these things that we're talking about are, are contextual against what a person's experience is, their risk, like how much they enjoy the game. I'd love to scream down some technical uh, black diamond terrain with no helmet, with my hair on fire, 
and Netflix uh, coming alongside of me all slow motion like, that'd be awesome. Until you crash and then you can't spell TBI. And so I think that uh, it's our job to either look at our kids or look at ourselves and contextualize the risk reward uh, ratio and then make your own determination. And here's the best part, whatever you decide, you're gonna get a lesson. You're gonna learn that that was a good idea to wear that full face, or you're gonna learn that that was a bad idea to not take the full face. Life's full of lessons, and the older you get, the better you get at picking the helmet. Mm, that's a great point. And the full face helmets are fantastic. I have one my, myself. <laughs> it took a lot of trees to the face to, before I realized, <laughs> oh, I should probably just get like a cover of some sort on it. Uh, now I got a couple comments here and a question, so I wanted to hit on these. Uh, Vanessa Chaos says, love the power tools point. I was started on a scroll saw at four. Never been injured by that tool. 100%. Now, when I was doing my uh, engineer training, we had a, a guy on the course with us. He had never used a hammer ever in his mm. entire life. And he was in his mid-20s. And we were, we were a lot of us were like, how have you never used a hammer before? But again, it comes down to what they're being exposed to throughout their life. Um, now, KH says he has, I have witnessed some parents bowing out of teaching because they are frustrated with their kids. How do you overcome frustration when teaching? I think mm. that's a great question. So let's, uh, we'll start at the top of the panel. Um, Clay, what do you got? Any thoughts? Uh, yeah, my, my immediate thought, I guess, is um, if, if, if both you and, and the child uh, or the young person, whichever one it is, or the young children in the class are hyper-focused on the subject matter, you're kind of missing the real teaching point, which is, and what you exemplify towards them in those difficult moments of teaching, it should be patience that you exude towards them in learning um, whatever it is that you're trying to teach them. That's, that's the real uh, teaching point. So I guess maybe the perspective of, you know, maybe they don't say, but what we can really learn is to be patient. Mm -hmm. BC, what about yourself? Yeah, same same thing here is slow it down, but also if if you're getting frustrated <clears throat> with teaching the kid, you also kind of have to know what you're teaching. And so we I think we experienced that as a society when lockdowns occurred and a lot of schools were closed or at least, you know, closed to kids going into the classroom so they were teaching online or learning online and a lot of parents were expressing that they, they were not good at teaching their kids things. But a lot of times it's because they're trying to teach something they themselves have not mastered. Mm -hmm. So earlier I was joking about making a sandwich, but it'd be real easy for me to teach uh, a kid how to make a sandwich and not, and not get frustrated. Now, if the kid is, is not grasping that concept, all I'm going to do is slow it down and do it step by step. And then sometimes you have to implement things like the chaining method where you teach this in one step, then you go to step two, then you go back. Hey, let's go back over step one, then step two, add another step, step three, go back to step one. You can do that a lot of times in math when you're teaching um, kids math. You know, you have to keep harping on that because everybody learns differently. But I think adults do assume, one, that a teacher's job is very easy. Uh, and then, two, assume that that because they're the parent, whatever they say, this kid's just going to take it in and and do exactly what they say. But teaching is completely different in that they have to understand the concepts. So just like Clay was saying, you slow it down, you have to have patience. And then if they're not grasping it, you may have to understand how they learn. Do they learn through audible, you know, through, through hearing or are they visual learning or are they tactile? Do they learn more from, from going hands on? Everybody's different and there are certain ways to figure that out. But if someone's tactile, you're going to have to give them something in order to understand that concept. Um, but, but it is that idea of you're, you just got to slow things down and you yourself, if you're the one getting frustrated, you may have to stop and go relax, do whatever it is that kind of brings you down. Maybe not drink three cups of coffee that morning, drink two or whatever, just, but, but understand to be mindful that you as the instructor or the parent or teacher and frustrated step away and, and calm down, you know, hundred mm -hmm. percent ski. What about yourself? So I, I think um, 
we've lost the ability to be playful with our children, right? We're so serious all the time and you have to learn this. You have to, uh, you know, there's a, a study and I can't remember. I don't want to jack up the numbers, but if you present something to a kid that's new and it's play, they learn it like five or six times faster than they actually do. If you say, Hey, I'm going to teach you this. Right. So the art of, uh, the art of playfulness, uh, I think is something we lost. And then back to the, the frustration on the parent side, Hey, like we have to be better at controlling our emotions, especially when it comes to our children, right? They should not get the brunt of that. So whether it's frustration because you had a bad day or you're on sensory overload, like that's a parent thing. And that's a, a an adult thing that we have to check long before we engage our kids. So I think it, I think it comes down to that, that playful nature and just understanding that they are kids and we don't have to be these robotic parents. And then the way we instruct is not, you know, like, like you're going to go up in front of a, you know, a recruit class or a drill instructor. It's a completely different relationship. hundred percent. Sean, any thoughts on that? I do. I do. I'll keep it brief. I think that, uh, for me as a parent, um, I was frustrated with my kids from time to time. I've yet to meet a parent who hasn't been. I mean, parenting is frustrating and uh, it, it just is. And, and I'm, I'm just going to say that if it's only once in your life, okay, you were frustrated. If it's a million times, okay, you were frustrated. It's still frustrated, uh, not, not the volume of uh, frustration. It's the eventually you're going to be frustrated. At least that was my experience and anyone I've ever talked to. Now, what do you do about it? Well, lots of good answers so far, but I'll do it a bit of a different vector. If uh, you're frustrated with your kids, it's probably because you're not running a tight ship and they're not running a tight ship. And by that, I mean, is everyone getting enough sleep? Is everyone eating clean, nutrient-dense food? Is everyone hydrating appropriately? Is everyone on top of their homework so that they're not feeling the pressure of the homework that isn't being done and etc. So there's lots of ways to run a tight house or a tight family unit or a tight relationship with your kids. So you're setting them up for maximum success as well as yourself. If you and your kids are getting enough sleep, it is going to reduce the frustration levels. If you're coming in off your third shift for the day in your third job and you step into the house frustrated from work, chances are it's not your kid's fault. It's not the work's fault. It's, it's you just needing to find a way to live a better life through better sleep, better nutrition, better hydration, better relationships, lower stress, being happy with your life and et cetera, et cetera. Not to mention looking after yourself in the way of hobbies or BJJ or whatever it is that turns the smile in, in a direction that you can point towards your kids. If you're coming in with a scowl, but pretending not to be frustrated with your kids, it, it ain't going to fly. They're going to read through that easily. So you got to show up top notch. And also you you got to set your kids up top notch. Yeah, <clears throat> that is uh, all fantastic advice. I, the only thing I, I can't even think I would add to this, but the uh, thing that I did, at least for my boys, when I start get frustrating is I'm realizing I'm trying to teach too much and I just back off. So uh, as to what you guys were saying, you know, just give them what they can take and, and, then let, and play with it. I think it's just such a great, using that playful mentality, uh, Ski, it's just fantastic. Now we are uh, running over time right now. Uh, Andrea hits us up. Every child learns differently. Not just children. Everybody learns differently. Like you got to understand if you want to teach anything that other people are going to learn differently. So you got to learn how to teach differently as well. Uh, KH got uh, another couple questions here, but I'm going to put that onto another show. <clears throat> so KH will get to you uh, another day on those ones for sure. Cause they'll open up a whole nother conversation that I will take too long to get through. So let's hit some final thoughts and then we'll shut her down for the day and we'll, carry on from there i'm going to start with uh bc final thoughts on anything we've gone over so far today yeah i'm just basically uh 
don't be afraid to go out there and kind of learn new skills. Or if you've got kids or whatever, just let them get a little dirty. Let them, let them fail a little bit. Let them see what life is like. And uh, like I said earlier, build a little character. You know what I mean? It's all right. (laughs) I like it. Clay, what do you think? Yeah, so I've, I've been on the show a couple times now, and I just really want to thank BC for having an accent than me. It kind of let me <laughs> off the hook this time. And I, I really appreciate it. I, I was always the one with the, the really thick accent. So you came, you came in clutch for me today. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, I'm over the other one. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I really do. Uh, the other thing, I guess, is uh, have patience with the process, with yourself, have patience with your kids, just patience. It is a virtue, but it takes practice. And I think we all could probably use a reminder to practice some patience. Absolutely. Ski, how about yourself? Final thoughts? Yeah, I'm just thinking about every every topic we've touched on requires intentionality on our part to be successful. So if we're not showing up with intentionality, we go into that autopilot mode and we're going to be mediocre at best. That's a great, great point. Sean, final thoughts. I like that. Uh, Ski made my life a whole lot easier by stating that because it pulls us right back to what BC was talking about with UPS and how, you can have the processes and you can have the mission profile in front of you and understand all of that good stuff. But before you begin those, you've got to understand your why. So for me, the intentionality is understand your why of the moment and things get a whole lot easier. hundred percent. Well, I do want to, uh, this has been a great conversation. First off, I really do appreciate all of the questions and the comments and uh, the conversation. It's been great. Thank you, Ski, for jumping in halfway through. We were gonna we're gonna get you on another time so you can actually be part of the whole conversation as well. But uh, kudos to you for jumping in, no preparation, into the convo. It was awesome. Uh, BC, good to see you as always, and Clay, always glad to having you on here. This is fantastic. So, you know, as we all learn how to play the game a little bit better, we can build upon it every day. And when we do that, we grow into the people that we're meant to be. And you can do that with us every day here on The Collective. We'll see you all tomorrow. Jimmo.